Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from Faster Skier. This is our last breakdown of racing from Canmore, Alberta, where we had a pretty exciting classic sprint yesterday. I am on my way down to Minneapolis, where we will have two more podcasts, and uh, including a live show at the Utapils Brewery, not far from Worth Park, uh, the racing venue. That will be Sunday afternoon. Details to come. Stay tuned on this feed. And we will be back soon. This is Matt Hers. We are taking a break for me to come to you again live from Canmore right now, uh, only because we have had generous supporters of Faster Skier who have been willing to put up cold, hard cash in order for me to be on the ground here reporting and podcasting. If you enjoy this podcast, it turns out it does not just happen out of thin air. Faster Skier Bought me plane tickets, is paying for a rental car, will be putting me up in Minnesota as well, and all that costs money. So if you are able to, please consider a voluntary contribution to Faster Skier. Fasterskier.com slash support has all the details. We're really grateful to the folks who have pitched in to get me this far, and we'd be really grateful if you considered adding yourself to the list. Thanks. No, and you, but you know what I do like is the whiskey voice I'm hearing because uh, every podcast during this Canada tour, I've just been shattered, yeah. totally shattered from 10.30 to like midnight. And now the tables have turned, but now the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, 7, 7.30 a.m., bright and early. I published, uh, published a little story. I got some more. We have so much good stuff from Canmore. It's like uh, that hasn't even, people don't even know what they're, what kind of, dreamy content they're about to encounter on faster skier so um i love it i hope i hope that their um attention spans haven't been eroded to zero because of tiktok and and instagram and social media x and everything that they can listen but people listen to us drone on i'm surprised that they do yeah, let's be honest. Our demographic is not the TikTok demographic. It's like the I think it the demographic is 55-year-old master blaster um that loves cross-country skiing and listens to it while they're doing the dishes from dinner. Yeah, but you know what? And which is great. They get a little bit of entertainment, get caught up on the inside scoop on what's happening on the World Cup. The kitchen gets clean. They get a little break. I mean, I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. So I want to start this episode by asking. So I'm in I'm in the Radisson uh, where I got a very good rate. I my dad uh, directly so on on the outskirts of Calgary's airport where um, I was kind of like, OK, I'll have like the evening in Calgary like this could be fun. Um, and for people who don't know, Calgary, one point six million people, which shocked me plopped down in the prairie about an hour from Canmore, which also is weird because like Canmore, you're in the middle of the most gorgeous Canadian Rockies and you drive out past these ski jumps and then you're like, where am I? And I guess, you know, Calgary mostly is here because, well, it's here because of like a couple of rivers that we're meeting, I guess, but really it's here in this way because of the oil industry. It's just like a weird place, man. Like I was like, I thought I would go find some cool stuff last night. I did not really find some cool stuff. I Well, I did find an epic Indian dinner right next to the airport, which was like, it seems like there's a pretty big uh, like in Indian community 
from like from India here in uh, Calgary. But I'm like curious, you know, you spent many years in Canmore. You must have gotten to know Calgary. Like, just what is the deal with this city? It's weird. I've got to really check myself because this is this is a like a moth to the flame. If I start dissing on Calgary, it's going to be a hate mail tsunami. So, but what I will say is I actually studied a little bit. I didn't finish my degree, but I started a biochemistry degree at the University of Calgary. So I've actually been to Calgary quite a bit. And then some of my best friends live in Calgary today. I mean, old teammates of mine, like Gordon Jewett, Sean Crooks, Chris Jeffries, David Nyber, like a lot of my really, really close friends live, live in the city. Um, That said, Calgary has never really scratched my itch. Uh, for all the same reasons you just mentioned, it, it's it it just reminds me of a yeah like we talked on off air yesterday. It reminds me of like a big southwestern city in the U.S. So like think or I guess Houston's not really southwest, but like like uh you know it, it just it, there is pockets. I will give it this, and you didn't know this, but there is like neighborhoods or like pockets of this city that are quite vibrant and pretty fun but those pockets are small and they're pretty spread out between each other so 15 20 years ago downtown calgary during the work day was pretty vibrant because all those office towers were filled with um oil barons <laughs> and and major international companies but um you know shale gas isn't the most popular or the most profitable oil in the world right now and it's been a mass exodus especially with covid and everything so the downtown, which was already so dead after 5 p.m. on any day of the week, is now a total ghost town. <laughs> goes down pretty much any at any time, which makes it pretty makes it like a really trippy vibe. Actually, any downtown, like if you think of Manhattan or if you think of San Francisco, well, San Francisco, it's a, let's leave that on the table. But let's say like Manhattan, at any time of the, at any time of the day, like Manhattan is like bumping, right? And and Calgary has like big, big office towers everywhere, but never bumping. And you're like, am I in a zombie apocalypse? There's nobody here. So yeah, couple couple neighborhoods that have like some pretty cool culture um, and like great restaurants and little cafes and stuff, but they are very spread out from one another. And the best thing about Calgary is on a clear day, you get a beautiful view of the Rockies if you get up onto any hill, which are devoid of trees. So like Nose Hill Park is a, an example that, and this is where Hayden, I was just going to come crashing into me. Like everyone's like, Nose Hill Park is amazing. It's like, I grew up in the East with a lot of trees. Then I lived in Camor with a lot of big mountains. And then if you give me a brown dusty ass hill with no trees and you say it's awesome, I'm like, buddy, you're going to get out more. So it's not my favorite city, but people are incredibly friendly. And they've always been very welcoming and it has a very strong cross-country ski community actually in, in the Calgary area and sports in general. So a lot to like about it. I'm yeah. glad I don't live there. Move no, it com- on. No, no complaints. Um, okay. So we had one last, uh, one last day of racing. I, I mean, I thought these, I thought these races were, were pretty good. Um, it's, I will say journalistically, like it's one of the, the, the sprint rates, the sprint race, it's like pretty hard because it is, it's actually a little better than a mass start where like all the athletes descend on you in like in on mass in like five minutes. And you're just like, well, I guess I missed all of them except for the one that I decided to talk to you. Uh, the sprint races, they kind of trickle through, but the as they sort of get bounced out of the heats. Uh, and the great thing about that was I talked to a lot of athletes yesterday. The flip side of that was that uh, 
I did not watch that much racing yesterday. Like there's no, you could sort of watch them leave the stadium and you could watch them come back in, but you're actually really like, it was hard to tell from the mix zone because you're head on to the home stretch. And it was like, you didn't have the perspective horizontally to see what was going on. So I might ask you to, to be the guy to kind of give us the rundown of, of what happened in these races. And we can kind of get into, I guess, I guess the one thing, I mean, I don't know the, the the men's race. I could talk about this a little bit because I feel like I have some useful information. I mean, Johannes Klebo, uh won again by not a huge amount over Richard Juve of, of France, but again, you know, we're we're seeing him. He's he's not been perfect this year, but he seems to be back at a racing level and has won the last however many sprints in a row and it was interesting i mean he uh, he came through the mix zone yesterday was really generous with reporters and with like after that he went and signed he gave away his little leg numbers and signed bibs and uh, it just it it's it's pretty impressive that guy really he, he knows he knows what to do and it's 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 nice to see that but in any case he talked at length actually about sort of confidence and he said he was actually really nervous for Tuesday's sprint race after you know the the unusual and devastating result for Johannes Klebo where he got second on Sunday um and talked about actually I, I had asked him for a story I'm working on like what are your weaknesses as a as a sprinter and he was like haha that, that's a great question uh I'll talk to you later uh but then yesterday he kind of he did talk a little bit about the the it, it's so crazy to have a cross-country skier who can just talk about how rare it is that he loses a race, aka does not win, and the and the races where he's lost are races that involve like a long double pole finish or like a long uphill double pole finish. And he basically talked about this course as one with this really long double pole finish that he felt didn't suit him very well. So I think he honestly was like very gratified to win yesterday in a way that maybe he isn't normally. And um, I don't know. I mean, any number of additional subplots to the men's race yesterday, what else did you kind of pick up on? No, I'm glad we're starting with the men's race actually, because this is really fascinating stuff to be honest, because on its surface, you're like, why, why is it fascinating? Playbo wins everything, but <laughs> I don't think a little bit like we've talked a little bit before with Terezi Yohag at the peak of her powers or in any sport, right? Like when Tiger Woods was dominating golf, when we take your pick, right? Like any, any Michael Jordan at the absolute top of his game, Babe Ruth go way back in baseball where no one could touch him as a slugger. This is the kind of, it's not a generational talent. What Johannes Klebo is doing on the World Cup we have never seen dominance like this before ever. I realize every era, and, I, and I, I'm grouping Petter Nortug in this era that Playbo's in, but let's say like every 30, 40 year, like every 30 years is kind of like an era, right? And and you'll have like new superstars that kind of come in and out of, of these eras. So prior to Johannes Klebo, like the, the big daddy, like my absolute hero, posters on the wall, want to imitate him, cutting out of like obscure magazines and literally taped to my bedroom wall was Bjorn Dolly and Bjorn Dolly was, well, he, he's for the male side of things. No one has won more winter Olympic medals than Bjorn Dolly for males. Mara Bjergen famously beat him with that record, did that record in, in Pyeongchang. But what I will say is, is Bjorn Dolly 
podiumed or he would win. Sorry, he won one third of the World Cup races he started, which is an insane stat, by the way, like a totally mind blowing stat that like Bjorn Dali was that good. Here's the stats because the sprint, the reason why I'm going on with the stats and yeah, I'm dorky, but this is, that's one reason. The other reason why is think, I think this like paints quite an interesting narrative or like writes a quite an interesting narrative. Johannes Klebo yesterday was, it was his 100th World Cup podium. He has started, I think 140 or 141 World Cup starts and he has won 76 of them. Let that sink in for a second. Bjorn Dolly rewrote cross-country skiing completely by being on the podium, or sorry, winning a third of the time. Johannes Klebo is over 50% of his World Cup starts. He wins. This is dumb. And, and he starts skate races. I mean, how many, let, let's just get right into this. How many individuals start 15Ks as Johannes Klebo won? Absolutely zero. Like he never. So there is disciplines where he never wins or he wins mass start 15K skates, but not, not individual starts. So what he's able to do here is like mind-blowingly insane and to see what happened on i think that's what we keep talking about it like to see what happened on that race the 20k where he got pipped by paul goldberg in the finish i thought was a testament because you never see the guy kind of have weakness but it was the only race even when he got beat by paul goldberg in the 50k his technique didn't fall apart but in that 20k when he was pressed by paul goldberg and paul came up beside him he started stressing and he his technique was not the johannes Klebo technique that you that you expect to see on the other hand the adjustments this guy does is insane and this is what makes those stats a reality what happened in the final of that race yesterday in the classic sprint was richard juve came up beside Klebo in the finishing stretch pressing him just like Paul Goldberg did, actually getting a slight advantage for like a couple seconds, like his boots were ahead of Klebo. And instead, in complete opposite of what happened on Sunday, he stood up to the threat, high hips, standing tall, power going absolutely where you want it to go. Every coach's dream just stood against the assault that was Richard Juve, who's having a banner day. And in the end, not only that, pulled away from a hard-charging Richard Juve, and Juve almost fell apart technically, and Klebo maintained his absolutely perfect technique the entire way to the line and won. It was one of the most impressive kind of like revenge performances I've ever seen by Klebo, and the reason why that's so impressive is because he doesn't need revenge performances because like I've just said, he wins over 50% of the World Cups he starts. And I also wanted to echo what you said about like how generous he is with the kids because this isn't the first time we've seen that. Like he was amazing in Gomes, uh, spending, we had some email, we had some emails from fans that were actually there and they were super impressed with Johannes Klebo that was there like as the sun was setting, still signing kids, bibs, cards, whatever, skis. And, and it sounded like not just from you, Nat, but other people in Camor too told me that like, yeah, Johannes Klebo had been so generous with his time uh, and this is an incredible opportunity for North America because they don't get to see the big, big superstars of the sport and to have an ambassador like that on and off the trails is, is actually something else. But I was shocked, impressed that he was able to turn it around, not only mentally, cause you, you know, like he's getting pressed. It's easy to, you're tired. Everyone's tired. And to, 
when you're getting pressed, you're like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happening again. It's happening again. And then start rushing your technique. And what does that mean? It mean just go back and watch Sunday. If you want to know what it means, it means your hips start dumping. It means your hands start getting, your hands come up in front of you faster than your hips do. So you end up sitting, sitting a lot. And a lot of the power you're generating is not going in the right directions and it's not propelling you forward and you end up going slower. And all those things Klebo did not do to win yesterday. And I was, I goosebumps, man. It was, it was an amazing finish. So there was no weaknesses yesterday, but I understand that he is concerned because we have seen him lose in these long drags. Sorry, I'm stuck muted here. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I think I like many ski fans, you, you just, you got to still, I know people are get tired of Norway winning, but you got to you got to just appreciate it for for what it is. Um, and and these are these are sort of all time performances. Um, research. Yeah, one, sorry, one more thing. Sorry, I'm sorry to cut in, but like about all time. So I, I said those stats, but I'll, I'll ask you quick pop quiz. How many other men in any era has 100 World Cup podiums? Because this was his 100th World Cup podium. I don't know. Four. Zero. Okay. Johannes Klebo is the most has the most World Cup podiums for the men in history ever, and that's saying something because you have guys like Bjorn Dahlia, like I said, but that was a different era. They didn't have as many races, they didn't have as many stops. There was no sprints really. But uh, Petter Nortug was on the podium a ton of times too, and he is like completely obliterating Petter Nortug's stats. And he's twenty seven years old. Like we're not even close to the end of the career for him. The only thing to put it all in perspective is the real GOAT, the absolutely undisputed greatest cross-country skier of all time, Mar Birgen, 184 World Cup podiums. It's <laughs> got a little bit of work to do to catch her. But the fact of the matter is, on the men's side of things, the dominance we've seen from Johannes Playboat, we actually have never, like black and white, we have never seen dominance like this before. And one other thing, I know I just cut you off and now I'm just ranting, but Volness is third, okay? Like, Eric Volnes had a solid day. He had a sketchy semifinal where he looked tired. He was scrambling with his technique. He was caught out, but he got into the final as a lucky loser. And then in the final, he was very patient and really, really committed to his big, big finish. He's a big athlete. You can talk about that because you were up close to him. He's a big guy. Like he's strong, tall, and incredibly powerful. And, and the finish suits his strengths completely. And he was coming back on Juve, really. Like he was a little bit far back, but he was coming back on him. Couldn't get to Juve, ended up third. Think about the season Eric Volnes has had. He's beat Claybo in two classic sprints this season. He's been on the World Cup podium like all the time, essentially, in sprints. He is now leading Johannes Claybo by one point. And this is what's so hard, right? It's like about playing golf. If you're like Phil Mickelson or Vijay Singh or whatever back in, back in um, Tiger Woods' top era, and be like, no matter what I do, like he's only one point in the lead. Like, of course, Claybo is most likely going to win the Sprint Globe after not even showing up at the Tour de Ski. And that just shows the dominance that he's had. You, you can have the best races of your life and it's still not enough against a guy like that. So I, it was, uh, yeah, what Johannes Claybo is doing, I think we get sensitized to. We get, like we talked a little bit about Jesse, right? And especially in distant skate races uh, as a North American fan, we get sensitized to these performances. And, and that's why I'm talking excitedly. Sorry, I know it's early for you, but like, I, it's just, this is, these are unprecedented performances. And I hope we all realize how beautiful they are. Well, and, and the flip side of that is like, how much does it suck to be anyone else in the Claybo era where like, you know, you can be training your ass off and it's like, well, you can fight, fight it out for 
second and third. I, I just a couple sort of quick observations. Uh, the the French team, like they totally uh, did their traditional French celebration, and and I like I it's Norway should do this. Like it would benefit Norway to what France does is the same thing that the U.S. does. Like after any podium, they send the entire team uh out out to celebrate on the sort of stand where they do the awards and like you know you had like 50 like it's like where did these people all come from you had like 50 people out there yesterday and like juve is like wearing his cowboy hat gets up on someone's shoulders and is like pretending to be you know riding a horse cowboy style style in his hat and you're just like these guys, the French guys, I think maybe we'll hear a little bit more from them, hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, but they're, they're doing it right. I just, their, their team vibes are, are so good. I was hoping to get to see their uh, victory cell or podium celebration party. I was like knocking on their wax cabin doors yesterday. Um, and I was like exchanging my poor French with like some random wax tech. And he's like, no, 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 down in town celebration. Uh, so I, I missed it. But, um, and then the other thing from the men's race that um popped out at me was uh the fins yesterday had like a banner day you know it was like there were fins everywhere you had uh Lori Vornan and Yoni Maki making it into the men's final which like you know there were uh there were as many fins in the final as there were Norwegians which is unusual it was like Vornan's first final I think he's only his second ever sprint final and I think his first in like three years and I think it had also been you know Yoni Maki is a wily veteran at this point but he also hadn't been in a sprint final in like a couple of years so it's fun to see that the 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 Finnish team like they were all gathered in the in the finish area in the mix zone just like biting their fingernails waiting for these guys to finish and and Vornan was Vornan was close he was he was just a few tenths of a second uh off the the podium um and then i don't know do you want to i mean cal halverson like get it he yeah i'm gonna i I don't really care about cali making the final he was non-player uh but the fans i want to talk about because like also moylan in the world junior champion young finnish guy like he had a banner day too and he did get pipped he didn't get into the final but he made the semi-final so you had three fins in the top 11 and born in the way he was skiing in his quarterfinal and his semis like i was like this guy's for sure gonna podium because volness didn't look that good but in the final it's just like when volness turns it on he turns it on and Vornin just doesn't have that kind of jam to to compete. But still, two fins in the final was great. I wanted to talk about this, though. I want to talk about the semifinals a little bit before we move on to the women. Because, like, the semi, if you, not, sorry, not the semi, yeah, the semifinals. But if you look from 7th, the 7th to 12th, the athletes that did not make the finals, I just want to do a quick rundown of how amazing they were looking and how tight the margins are in men's racing, especially men's sprint racing these days. Schoonmaker, like JC was closing like a freight train. We got some emails about this too, about like, why aren't you guys talking about like how freaking good JC is in the last like 200 meters of these races. And I think he had a bone to pick after breaking his pole in the skate sprint. He qualifies fourth. He looked like a million bucks all day. And it's like, it's tight. There's so many bodies. If you go back and watch the semifinal, there's just like bodies everywhere. And it's really, really hard to get a clear line, a clean line to the, to unleash this beastly sprint that uh, JC was showing yesterday. And he left it just a tad late. He opened the account 
count. He opened his sprint just a tad late, not for any fault of his own, but because of the traffic that was around him and ends up just missing the final. But JC looked so, so good yesterday. Evan Nortug, eighth uh, perennial podium performer for, for Norway, absolutely livid with the move Juve made on, on Evan. We're like in the finishing straight. Juve jumped right in front of, of Evan Nortug. And Evan meant that like he should have been disqualified because he was like on the tips of my skis. I reviewed the, the, the slow-mo a plethora of times I was working with Norwegian TV on the, uh, over the last couple of days. So in the studio there, it's always fun to have those tools to actually like look, go back and forth. But anyway, it, it was like, so it was razor thin to know if like, did, did you, should you been like at least reprimanded at all? And like, oof, it's hard to say, but normally in these finishing stretches, you're actually not supposed to change your lane in the last hundred meters, usually they have like pine boughs or something to demarcate, like where you, you really have to be sure you're way ahead of the competitor's tips uh, before changing lanes to, to pass somebody. And it was, it was on the edge. So Evan Orthug was absolutely livid. I thought Shanova, who should have never been disqualified. Uh, we talked about that already in the skate sprint. He was super pissed about that. Um, you know, he was ninth and right in there. And then Edvin Anger, who was on the podium, uh, in in the skate sprint, like he was like distance in in twelfth, like in the end, and like not a player in a semifinal whatsoever. But I'm just like I can't believe the names now in in the men's side of things that are not good enough to make the final. And there's still a lot of pretty amazing performances by these guys that just aren't quite good enough. So it does show just how incredibly deep men's sprinting is usually it's all full in Norwegian. So I thought like from a Norwegian classic sprint side of things, this was like kind of a fiasco that they only had two in the final. Usually they have like five guys in the final in a classic sprint, like all the time, but they had two on the podium. So there's a lot to celebrate there, but I do want to talk about two things. And one, I was texting with Tony Sierra already. Uh, and he's like, you're going to roast me on the podcast. And I actually wasn't going to because Tony Sierra in his quarterfinal, it was a gutsy, gutsy, gutsy move. He went out, with everything he had, he like opened a can of whoop ass from, from the word go. And for two minutes and 15 seconds of that quarterfinal, Tony was going ballistic. And then he completely ran out of steam in the worst possible place. One runs out of steam. And that was 25 seconds from the finish line. He got not only swallowed up by everyone else in his quarterfinal, he got swallowed up and digested and spat out and ended up a distant sixth. And he was like a little embarrassed, like, oh, what a stupid tactical decision. And like, yeah, he had a bad tactical decision to, to go so hard when he could have been a, you know, he is a strong finisher. He was fourth in Val last year. He should have been more patient, but at the same time, he was probably hoping to get a lucky loser spot, but he just isn't in the shape. He was only 16th in, in the, in the classic race here in Camor, and he just didn't have the form to hold it to the line. So it was a bit of a heartbreaker, but it was a, a bit funny to see. And I want to tip my hat also to uh, Xavier McKeever, top 20 after, sorry, Zav, you know, I love you, buddy, but it's been a horrendous outing this year. Like he's had a couple of good races domestically, but as far as in the World Cup has gone, it, it, it's, you know, he, he's paying his dues and he's taking his licks. And it was nice to see him have a tactically solid race and end up in the top 20. Pierre, another tactical nightmare 
switching tracks all over the place in the finish. Like, I don't know, man, you got to watch more World Cup skiing and, and try and figure that out. And then I also, just to end this giant rant, um, is uh, Chapaz kind of pulled a Tony too. Like he was like all wasting energy all over the place. And he's such a great classic sprinter. He's obviously in good shape. We talked about how good he was in that 15K skate distance race, which like blew all our minds because he's not known for a... And the other distance race too. Yeah, exactly. So he's had a great, yeah, he was great in Camor and then like tactical misfire in a big way in his quarterfinal. And this is what I, I wanted to ask you this actually, like, were you surprised to see some tactical misfirings when they've raced this race before in or like a couple of days before in the skate sprint? And then this is the same course that was in 2016. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tape out there that you can kind of study and kind of figure out like, how do I how do I solve this course? I was I was really surprised with top names. Tony's young and he, he's taking a flyer, but a guy like Shapaz and some other guys too that were like Tugbow was never a factor. Like there was some tactical misfires. It really really weirded me out. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Boulder Nordic Sport. Boulder Nordic Sport is a shop that can get you your top-notch cross-country ski equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-picked skis. You can be looking for your first set of new gear, trying to finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the 2024 Olympics. Boulder Nordic Sport's staff will help you find just the right gear to meet your needs. BoulderNordic.com has one of the biggest selections of ski stuff in the country. They also have a really fun annual magazine that you can download there digitally. You can also sign up for one of their professional race wax services for World Masters and other big events. And they've got extensive waxing how-tos on the BNS YouTube channel. That's all at BoulderNordic.com. I think um, that's actually a good segue into the women's race, too, and into, like, Jonas Sundling, because, uh, you know, we got some questions about that, and i definitely eager to talk about her tactics. Two other things. One, um, the, the sun came up, and, like, I now have – you're not going to be able to see it, but I have this, like, epic view of downtown, and, like, the Rockies are, like, all lit up in pink, and I'm like, okay, I see it. Um, but, uh, in second, before we move on, really move on, I did just want to, um, pour one out for Ben Ogden, who just like comes down with some like heinous illness on his birthday, uh, and the U S like, just like throws this guy, other guy, Graham Houtsma into it, like, uh, 10 hours before the race. But anyway, back to the tactical thing. I mean, my sense is, I think that like you saw, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's so easy to like talk about tactics and tactical decisions in the abstract, like when we're not in the race. And I know as, you know, a guy who's like ski race, never really that high a level, but, um, but did bike race a, a decent amount of where tactics like definitely come into play a lot more. And I think it's like, it's always just so much harder to, be you know you can you can sort of visualize and remind yourself all this stuff and then you get into a race and you look around and it's like you're outgunned outmatched and and you're reacting instead of acting and you do stupid shit and or you're like a tony or or a sundling and you know you may not have the confidence that you need uh to to do the to to execute what you know is sort of the winning strategy for this course which is uh you know wait till the end and draft and and i think 
you know, my sense is you saw athletes that like didn't have that confidence trying these other things that were like proven not to work. But if you know that the other options aren't going to work either, like maybe it makes sense to try these other tactics. I don't know. I, I think it's a good question, but I do think that is a good segue into Yona Sundling who like, I feel like we've watched her in a number. I mean, dating back to last year where it's like she, she goes in your words, gun to tape annihilate from, you know, the start to the finish, like a time trial. And then, you know, uh, it doesn't always work. And, and you kind of wonder if she took a, a different tactic, uh, if she might end up with a better result and not just like if she stuck with a better tactic in the final, would she be the winner? But if she stuck with a different tactic in the quarters and semis, would she have like more left in the tank to, to give in the finals where, you know, she hasn't mess. I mean, she hasn't even, been, but, but the flip side is like, she hasn't even been making the finals. She didn't make the finals in the, in the skate sprint. So I don't know. I, I'm curious what you make of, of Sundling these days. Well, this is great because we're going to have some con. Like, I, I'm going to contradict some of what you said with Sundling actually, which is always kind of fun because like in the skate race, Sun Ling, who had a great qualifier in the skate sprint, was a tactical disaster. I don't know what she was doing. Like, after such a great qualifier, like, she was way too passive in the skate sprint. And like you said, got bumped from the final. Like, didn't make the final, which is just outrageous. And then, and yet, in the classic sprint, something to prove wins the qualifier by, like, two and a half seconds. Like, absolutely demos the field. And you know what? I loved her tactic in the final. For her to win, this was the way against Lin Svon, who has been completely unstoppable, who's leading the Sprint Globe this year, and Shista, who is by far the best finisher in any technique on the World Cup, but has a lower capacity. Like her VO2 max, she's not as fit as Sun Ling and Lin Svon. That's just the facts. She's almost like a purish sprinter right now compared to Lin Svon or Sundling that can be top 10. Lin Svon's been on the podium for Christ's sakes in distance races this year. So like I thought Sundling's tactics in the final were just like go out, smash. I loved it. It was aggression that we needed to see. This was her chance to win the race. I truly believe that against, against two finishers that are just straight up better than her these days. But where I am agreeing with you is in her quarterfinal. What the hell are you doing? Like opening, like, like essentially like a pony keg and just letting the beer splash all over the place. Like the party isn't now like, wait, don't savor the champagne till the final, or at least like the back end of the semifinal where you're also in no risk to make, like she would, of course she's going to make the final on a day where she's two and a half seconds better in the qualification and looking like a million bucks. So wasted too much energy early in this one but incredibly impressed with her tactic and guts by taking it out the way she did i will say what we haven't talked about is it came a little bit of snow and i was meaning to ask you about this but like i i lived in camera for 16 years so i know how this happens like it came a tiny little bit of snow and too late for them to regroom and that meant and you saw this happening especially in the women's races was like on total display in the final she that has this insane draft uh, behind like first, okay, I'm going to set it up differently. The two Swedes are away 
by some meters. And then all of a sudden, like Lin Spawn, if it was, if, if Johanna Sundling was in any other country, it's a protest for sure, for sure. Like Lin Spawn goes out, jumps right on the tips of Johanna Sundling, like, like killing both of their speed, giving Shistad that chance to kind of catch back up. But when Shistad caught back up, instead of standing up, taking some wind or pushing on the poles and like still trying to keep that high speed so you can get a good slingshot, she goes out right away. What happens? There's that like three centimeters of fresh, dry Rocky Mountain snow that just kills her speed completely. She, it's almost like she threw a parachute. In, she's a drag racer and threw a parachute out the back. She's like, whoa, like slows down like crazy. The Swedes get that gap again. She has to come back into the same line that the Swedes are in. And then, it, then it's over because Lynn Svahn has now opened her sprint and she's like going mock Schnell. It's game over. Lynn Svahn won. And Sundling had like, a solid advantage, but she said, like I said, is the best finisher on the World Cup and came back to her, but Nat, she beat her because she said like fucking 7'10 or whatever. Like she's so tall. Her legs are like go taller than Sundling's head. And they she won in a lunge. She won by like a couple centimeters by the finishing photo in a lunge. So Sundling actually, even though that advantage she got was eroded in the last 150 meters you're watching the best finisher in the women's field. You're watching like a Petter Nortug in his prime against like world champion, Olympic champion, all this kind of stuff, medaled at home and colon in that 30K. Like, I mean, she's a total beast, but the fact of the matter is she's not as good right now as she said. And in that sprint finish, I wasn't surprised she said came back to her and Sundling wouldn't have been on the podium if she tried a different tactic. I, I believe that. And much because who's behind her? This is why. Ribbon? Yeah. Dolphins? Dolphin, who's been like on a tear. She's been second in the last few World Cup sprints. She's on a tear and who finishes like a total champ, like almost at the level of a Lin Svan. Dahlqvist has an insanely powerful sprint finish. So Sun Lang's not on the podium if she doesn't play that tactic. On the flip side, what I will say, well, actually, I'm not going to say it. I want to hear what your perspective is on the American women. Ooh, well, um, yeah, I mean, interest it sort of was an interesting set of results. Uh, you know, you saw Rosie Brandon have, you know, kind of a, a breakout qualifier given, you know, the way Rosie's been skiing. Rosie Rosie qualified fifth and then uh, gets bounced immediately out of her, her quarterfinal. And, um, you know, I, I did not sort of see that race unfold like in detail to be able to give like a tactical analysis. She clearly was like, frustrated with the way that she had had skied it and you know came came through the mix zone and we, we you know uh gavin kench from nordic insights and i like had had this interview with rosie where it was just like <laughs> she was she was not let's just say she was not in the mood after i think four races in canmore that really fell below her expectations uh and particularly you know when it looked like she had potential to do a lot better than than she did um and and she and Jesse Diggins and Julia Kern all were within like you know a, a tenth and a half of a second to to being the lucky loser and moving through to the semis and ended up being that that Julia was the one to advance and and Jesse had you know I think uh, by the standards of Jesse Diggins of previous years seventeenth in a classic sprint is fine by the standards of where Jesse's been finishing this year I think seventeenth even in a classic sprint is you know, disappointment for her, but you know, she's, she's ready. I think Jesse, you know, she's ready to move on. She's going to be in, in Minneapolis, like hometown hero for the next 
five days and just trying to get through that. Uh, you know, Julie Kern, I think, has really kind of struggled with some ups and downs this season. And I think was actually really gratified to make it through to the semis and was was pretty stoked, although she was definitely like, I've got to work on my starts because in the semis, I heard the gun go off, looked down, started skiing and looked up and like everyone was kind of already gone. So that was her analysis of her, uh, you know, not advancing to the finals yesterday. I don't know what else what else is out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I tend to agree. I, I, I thought I, I thought um, my hot takes with the, my Monday morning quarter Monday morning quarterbacking on this is like Julia Kern, amazing quarterfinal, tactically super solid, skiing with a lot of confidence. She's blaming her start in the semifinal. Okay, yeah, she did have a viciously bad start, but she also just wasn't fit enough compared to the women that she was around, and she got she got hammered on and like you said it's been a lot of ups and downs but nice for her to get into the semifinals like this is the, you know like we're, we're so spoiled we're so spoiled with athletes like rosie when she's on, on her top of her game and jesse who's like a generational talent not just a generational talent like the best american skier of all time the best north american skier of all time hands down so we, we do get spoiled rosie you alluded to this before there's some probably some stuff going on in her life that that's affecting her energy and she's raced every single individual race exactly like jesse diggins and this takes its toll and these athletes from north america that have to spend their whole life on the road hotel to hotel to hotel like this isn't like i go to the four seasons in bali and then i go to the four seasons in like maui and then some of these places are pretty scrappy and the way they're traveling is scrappy and it takes a lot of energy and you have the stress to perform and they're performing so that almost adds more stress so it's really sad for me to see rosie run out of steam and she looks so great in the qualifier not just her result but she looked great and and in in her quarterfinal it was talk about tactics i mean like she she looked like an athlete that was really lacking confidence and like almost didn't believe she qualified fifth making a ton of poor positioning decisions skiing poorly technically when she's been skiing quite well especially in classic at kind of middle altitude like that's kind of her jam and it just it was a kind of calamity of errors and and she was not just parked but she was she was sixth in her heat not because of anything more than just making a, a string of poor decisions she's she was in better shape than that and and just lacks a little bit of confidence right now, which is sad to see, but let's not forget how great a season she's had. And there's still a lot of racing left. Diggins is an interesting one for me. And this is, I was talking with the experts uh, on Norwegian TV and we were talking about this. And this is what I don't truly understand. Like this isn't going to come as like a big criticism of Diggins or anything, but like this strategy of always picking the fifth heat, we've covered this before. The stats don't lie. If you want a medal, if you want a podium and stuff, picking the fifth heat is a ridiculously bad decision. Picking the first heat now is shown to be a pretty risky decision if you're not like a Klebo, a Sundling, a Shista, like the total legend. So I, I totally understand why someone like a Jesse wouldn't pick a first heat. But like picking the fifth heat, less rest, you get put into the second semifinal, which is also gives you less rest for the final. But also like, I don't know. I, I know why she's doing it. She's doing it to like, secure advancement and get points and and we've seen that in these sprints lately and her tactic has changed over the years where she is just smashing the quarterfinal in either technique and sprints so if she's not one or two she's always through in a lucky loser because she makes the race and then she does the same thing in the semis and then gets to the final and is kind of wrecked and ends up fourth fifth or sixth 
she tried the similar tactic again in, in a classic sprint. Her technique was actually good. Like she looked great. She looked so much better in this one than, than the classic race. Like we talked about, she wasn't super satisfied with her skis in the classic race. And, and you could see that she, she had looked like good skis in the, in the classic sprint, at least technique was good, but blowing way too much energy fifth heat. And, and to me, it's like, Jesse, like as a fan, it's like, don't forget you medaled in classic sprints. You've podiumed in tons of classic sprints. This is a course that suits you. Big, long downhill, good, long stretch into the finish. Maybe right now with the Sundling, uh, like with the Swedish women, Svan Sundling and Shista, the podium is pretty hard to, to, to get. But I think tactically, like pick a better heat, get a bit more rest, play it a little more tactically and fight for the podium because she, I feel like now we have a great sprinter in Jesse Diggins that, that at least lately, later in the, in the season, she's the kind of taken the podium chance and just thrown it over her shoulder. And it's like, I'm just going for points now. But like when I go see the world cup overall standings, which I do, I'm like, Jesse, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like you are leading the overall world cup race by so much. I guess she's worried about home and calling where there's a lot of bonus points or whatever. Frida Carlson just goes on a total tear in a 50 K classic. But other than that, like, I really, I would like to see a statistical analysis. Like, how likely is it that Jesse Diggins is going to get pipped in the overall World Cup competition? Like, I feel like I'd like to see her be, I'd like to see her race a little smarter and like go for the podiums in these in these sprints as well because she is good enough. Like she is, but she's, I don't know. But I bet, I mean, what the hell do I know? I mean, like she's the best female skier in the world right now. And she's the best North American skier, like I said, of all time hand like by a factor of two or three so and that's including keegan and becky and alex like i'm sorry like jesse is just far better and um so she i'm not criticizing her fully but i i do question her tactics in sprints these days and 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 she hasn't been getting podiums so it will be very interesting to see in minneapolis because like now she wants to win at home too. <laughs> I mean, the 10 K skate, they, they put it there for her. She's the best 10 K skater in the world. So she has a great chance there, but I mean it. I think Diggins has an, a great chance in the shape she's in to be on the podium in, in a, in a skate sprint. And, but it's going to mean picking an earlier heat and not blowing your energy like a crazy person in the quarterfinals. I, I mean, I, I would love to see, Jesse, and you would you you have to imagine if you know, assuming she she's going to qualify for the heats in Minneapolis. Like, y- 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 if you're Jesse Diggins, you got a race to win that race. You, you're not racing to score World Cup points, but I guess uh, I guess we'll find out. I mean, it is it is pretty amazing. Like, you know, it's I, I was looking at the schedule the other day, and I was like, which one's the is the distance race the skate race or is the classic race the sprint the the skate race and then i was like oh they're both skate races like this is this is jesse diggins weekend here in uh in minneapolis so um yeah i mean uh take home messages uh canmore is rad and uh we hope the world cup comes back and i think everyone else does i've got to uh go get on a airplane pretty quick here yeah we'll be back soon thanks for listening to this episode of the devin kershaw show we'll be back soon